Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Let the Music Be Your Master. We are your humble servants. I am Brandon Arnold. Who else do we have here? Jordan Harmon here. Jason Johnson. A little bit of a delay because we're doing this via via Zoom. We're get we're getting hacked by the by the Russians while we do it. Maybe, <laughs> uh, Pro- probably. We don't we don't have so many visual cues as to who's who's going to talk next or when, but all that can be edited out, right? I have I did notice editing the uh, the quarantines episode. It takes a lot longer to edit these. I mean, it, it needs a lot more editing because there's so many like awkward pauses yeah. when, which sometimes are there in the actual conversation, but sometimes it's just because there's, you know, a delay in the, in the signal. And so it's almost always my awkward pauses because I take longer to respond normally in real life. And then it's just accentuated over the internet. <laughs> like, wow, Brandon's, Brandon's taking like five seconds to say anything. <laughs> what a thoughtful so like Brand, guy. Brandon's extra awkward, yeah. you're saying, when, the, uh, when it's Zoom? Oh, man. Is that what you're saying? It's, it's bad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just attribute but it to your thoughtfulness and your politeness. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's what, right. I was, that's what I thought, too. I guess I was wrong. I guess it's just <laughs> your... <laughs> So here we are, uh, episode, I don't know what number it is, but we're we're diving into the 2000s. Yeah, let me ask you guys this. What did anything surprise you about putting together your, your 2000s lists? Hmm. Anything surprise me? Yeah. I, um, well, there was so, to me, it was that I was so many, uh, there were so many bands I, th- this was the first decade. I didn't realize this, but this was the f- this was the decade I came into my own because in the '90s I was still I was listening to a lot of music that wasn't from the '90s. I was listening to a lot of jazz music, a lot of funk music, a lot of classic rock, and then I had a few like alternative bands and things that I liked, you know. Um, but in terms of actually listening to music that was current, the 2000s, and I think it had to do with um, it was like. It's when I, it's kind of when I became an adult. Like I think all of us were similarly uh, cryogenically frozen for two years at the end of the '90s, right? We all went through that same experiment. <laughs> yes, <right>? yes. <laughs> and uh, no, we were all on the, the the mission. And so there's this interesting like cutoff period for me where I I came back in '99, you know, September, August of '99, and so I have this very clear cut you know, between the 2000s. And I think after my mission is when I really started listening to current music more and it had to do also with the internet and downloading music and the whole change in technology where I could go and get CDs from the Orem Public Library and then rip them onto my laptop computer and then put them on an iPod or whatever. And so... um the, t- the way the technology influenced things and then also just that I was listening to a lot more stuff and it wasn't almost nothing was on the radio that I was listening to. Um, but somehow I had more access to stuff that was cool. Yeah. I was surprised because, and, and I agree with all those points you guys were probably a little bit more upstanding than me, but this is when um, I started just pulling mass 
quantities of music through LimeWire to my, uh, mm-hmm. to my, my hard drive. And, um, but this was the first decade. This decade makes up like the first extensive list of music that I really still listen to currently. Like there's, I, th- I feel like there were more songs on my, um, 2000s list that are still in regular rotation for me than yeah. some of the previous decades. That surprised me a little bit. Um, I think it is kind of that developmental piece. But then the other thing I thought that it kind of surprised me, just putting them all out, um, it feels like, and maybe this is just my bias again kicking in, but it feels like pop got a little bit smarter. Like there's a couple songs that surprised me that I included in my um, in my top 10 list that are definitely more kind of pop flavored dance flavored um a couple songs there's more songs on my 2000s list that would have broken into like main mainstream radio play than some of the previous decades that i had that surprised me but i think i think pop became a little bit more intelligent this this decade at least it feels like it it did to me there's some cool well, stuff i'm I was gonna, i'm excited i was gonna say the opposite really yeah. Yeah, well, I, had a, I thought. I mean, at least worse. the the list that or the the playlist that I was listening to that other people had put together of like the hits from the two thousands or the Google the Google Radio of of biggest hits, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like that was even worse than that nineties one that I just referenced. Like Which I, I was listening be, to that, maybe, I'm like, man, this is terrible stuff. So maybe what um, it is then maybe it's indie pop got. Right. smarter got got bigger yeah. that that's probably a more accurate description i didn't even look at like a a google list of top 40 pop but but the songs that i yeah. liked which probably do fall more under that indie category yeah. definitely have more of a, a pop flavor to them well yeah. what, what i was noticing is like the uh the indie rock songs that i liked a lot a lot of them seemed like they should be the big like i i couldn't see why they weren't big hits in the you know in the whole country because mm-hmm. they had all the ingredients to it whereas the the stuff that was the most popular seemed so bad to me mm. yeah i i would agree with that i think this was like a golden era for indie music but it wasn't necessarily on the radio but it was i think the internet helped it was more popular than underground stuff of the 80s or 90s or i don't know if maybe i was just an adult young adult so i knew it better but it seemed like the internet pitchfork those kinds of like the kind like people being able to download music um i I was seeing a lot more live music in the 2000s than i was in the 90s and so i was just aware more it seemed like it was also the age of like more festivals maybe starting up like uh, like smaller regional festivals like in, in utah we had the whole uh the free like the concert in the park series that twilight concert twilight, series started yeah. up in the 2000s it kind of got a lot bigger of course in the 2010s but that started you know 2000s and you would have these bands they weren't radio bands but they were they were bands or groups that were big enough that you've heard of them um it was also the decade of starbucks music right like the nora jones jack johnson like the music that's kind of indie but so like so palatable that it's the, like the 2000s version of Christopher Cross. Yes, yes. <laughs> which was it, which is interesting. But I want to I want to ask you guys indulge me for a minute. I want to play a little word association game. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to list 
I'm going to just say, <laughs> I want you guys, I want to play. <laughs> I just want to hear from you guys, like one word, what comes to mind when you think of the decade doesn't have to be music related and you can cut this out if it doesn't work, Brandon, but going in order from Jason to Brandon to me and just a triangle, one word, you don't have to uh-huh. build off the last person. What comes to mind when you think of the 2000s? Like what, what makes the decade? So go ahead, Brandon, you start and then I'll go next. 9-11. Okay. I'm going to say um, laptops. Oh, my turn. Your turn, Jason. Um, yeah, like di- digitization, like like probably similar to the laptops thing. It's yeah, like the like the world becoming digital. That's okay, Brandon. One word: digitization. Brandon, uh, you're up. George W. Okay, I'm going to say <laughs> my, MySpace. Oh wow. Uh, Napster is Nap? No, Nap. Uh, LimeWire. And Nap. Or was that it? I don't know. Same thing. Yeah. Um, emails. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I'm I got my say email in 1998. Bad. Uh, oh, I'm going to just say Chiggy. <laughs> chiggy. Just bad hip hop on the radio. Chiggy. You remember Chiggy, right, Jason? I do not. You don't know Chiggy from... Uh, Okay, you've got it. It's like there was so much bad. I always like check in with what's playing on like the hip hop radio stations just to see like Chingy, Chingy, Chingy. That's it. Yeah, (laughs) Chingy. That would have worked better. Like the worst, some of the worst rap music ever came out in this decade. Yeah, that's true. But there's still some some good. There's good stuff. There's good stuff. But the radio, some of the radio stuff. Is this the uh, the decade when rap officially took the place of butt rock and hair metal? It, it it took a different place than that. It took the place of rock. Yeah. Well, I, I just mean the uh, like the mentality of it. Like mm. you don't you don't have uh, Public Enemy that kind of stuff anymore. It's just all like the same mentality as butt rock had. Like. I'm so awesome. I'm getting all the ladies. We're going to do it, baby. That, that mentality and- existed in the nineties. That's part of what made the, some of the good stuff in the nineties, I think really smart because it was kind of pushing against like gangster rap was, was celebrating to a, to a large extent, a, a lifestyle. It just seems like that's all there is in 2000. And, and so, yeah, I guess you and have you, in the two thousands, you do have like kind of the master P, um, approach which is very much you know kind of bravado and self-celebrating but that was always a little bit part of hip-hop but then you also have the like the you know the talib qualities and the commons kind of Mm -hmm. coming into their own as well um and so there's still this kind of conscious conscious uh, undercurrent that was was making good stuff but there was so many very popular though were they hits no but i don't no they were like indie popular yeah, like pitchfork they, popular. Like, yeah, like like most deaf. That last track that I picked, that I replaced, that I gave up to De La Soul. Like that represents a very end of '90s, early 2000s area era of very conscious hip hop. It was kind of like the next generation of the 
um, native tongues. I'm I'm talking like this is when you cannot you cannot be playing the the hip hop station on the radio if you've got kids in the car. <laughs> like right, there's there's no more innuendo. It's just all. <laughs> you're you're talking about Fifty Cent Candy Shop. Yeah, hip hop. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think though to Jason's point, it's 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 not just butt rock. I'd say it's rock. It's just that's what you've heard. But there's a whole lot. There's a whole lot of stuff outside of that. That yeah. um, what you've heard on the radio. Yeah, I'm sure there is. Yeah, and even some of that stuff made it to the radio. Some of the other stuff, like one of my picks. I won't give it away, but it's one of my first picks. Actually, I will give it away. I don't think I'm going to include it in my top ten. But Jurassic Five had a great album in 2000. An amazing album and. Uh, on funny funnily i don't know if that's word comically enough when i was researching it last night to learn a little bit more about the recording it said it landed on the list of top 15 groups for people who don't like (laughs) hip-hop it was jurassic five released their album quality control in 2000 and 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 it got radio play and it was on um had a video in rotation on uh i don't know if it was on bet like regularly you'd see their quality control video it was really good and I think, Brandon, it's one I put on your hip-hop playlist when we went skiing. It was one of the only ones that you're like, I like this one. So that, that list was but I think you probably. I think you hit a couple of things that, that are representative of something that was happening that pro- maybe made some of this more like embellished than it had been in the past, which maybe goes along with your point as well, Brandon. But like this is the decade that the album starts to die because – you can now like self-produce a single and release it on a digital format, and it can it can start to um, make a make a an imprint. And so, if if something sensational to the point that people are listening to it, like clicks and listens, are really what's going to drive it. And so, the I think the whole industry is changing. Record labels are changing. The album as an art form is changing. Radio is changing. It's transitioning from terrestrial to digital. And I think it started changing, you know, how people approached it. They started trying to make something that might be, you know, quote unquote viral or whatever. And, and I think that that changed people's approach to art. And so you have, you do have, so maybe the pop, like the, the real saccharine pop, got worse but like the smart indie pop somehow got yeah. better as well so i, would I, agree I with think that. the gap starts to get bigger yeah yep. i'd agree with that well let's let's get into this let's back it up with with some empirical proof let's do it songs. it's time okay uh does anyone have a song from 2000 i've got a song i've got a song from 2000 i can start us off with do it let me check okay so we're going to start off with, honestly, I think the best album of the year of 2000, and it's on the you know lists for best album of the decade. It's even on some people's lists for best albums of all time in terms of a top 100 album. This is coming from D'Angelo, his album called Voodoo. He had released his first album, Brown Sugar, in 1995. In our, in our last episode, I included a Lauryn Hill song where it's a duet between Lauryn Hill and D'Angelo. But this album is is very um, pivotal and influential neo-soul movement of the late 90s, early 2000s. It's, you've got Questlove doing a lot of the, doing the drumming and, and some of the, a lot of the production. You've got um, Roy Hargrove, a great jazz trumpeter, doing horns. 
and you've got this they didn't have Jay Dilla in there but they but they had the feel that you know the non-quantized drum feel but he he was part of the crew there, so that. there was this whole neo soul crew that. that he was part of right. and they all influenced they're all that. part of it the he, collective. Jay Dilla influenced this album immensely oh for sure for sure he wasn't i was just saying he wasn't he didn't produce the album right he might have done a song on it but 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 it's a it's a very influential album it's a great album top to bottom um and i'm picking a song from it that uh it's one of those albums where it's like you could pick six or seven songs from it or i could pick to be my favorite or to include i'm including the last track um it's a, a little bit lesser known so we're, we're going ahead with the you know the deep cuts but it's called it's called africa it's d'angelo's song uh, africa on his album voodoo from the year 2000 and yeah we'll go ahead and take a listen africa is my descent and here i'm far from i dwell within the land that's meant meant for many men not my dog Pretty smooth, George. Yeah. So one of the reasons I I picked that one, like the album, you can tell in this song especially, his voice is used kind of as an instrument with a lot of different layers blending in with others. He's almost as good as Seal right here. <laughs> Dude, you're, you're, it's not even funny. <laughs> what? You don't like Seal? Yeah. It's not, there's no comparison. Yeah. Yeah. No, this, this, so, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know, Jason, what your thought of this. I know, Brandon, you're not as into hip hop or other, but I was just just going to say that. I'm mostly ignorant. It's not that I don't, Yeah. it's not like I hear this and I'm like, ugh. Here, maybe bring bring the song, bring the sun down just a little bit. Yeah. Um, So I was, I wanted to find out, Jordan. Yeah. Because this was a. Uh, give me a second. It is loud in the in the mix. Uh, is it too loud for you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's hard to hear myself. Yeah, bring oh, it. It's hard to yeah bring it down. Um, so I was, I wanted to ask you, Jordan, because. Yeah. I had a track. I had the root from this album was a late cut from yeah. my top 10. And part of the reason that I cut it is because I was 99% certain that you would include a song from this album yeah. on your list. What does this album mean to you? Because it's, yeah. it's really important. And I'm, so I'm curious, like what you would say, because this album has like it within the realm of neo soul, but then also into hip hop, this album has real significance. It's yeah. 
Well, it was just it was just a, a favorite album in that era of mine. Um, I was in a band, like a funk groove band, and we were doing instrumental stuff. But it was the drummer was like trying to basically be like Questlove in terms of his drumming. And so this album came out in the midst of us practicing. In fact, Brandon, we played a show at your house, if you remember. Acres yeah. of Mass, right? Yeah, yeah. If, so my, if I remember, of course I do. My cousin, Tim, he had an afro at the time, <laughs> which, <laughs> which was a total just like Questlove, you know, nod. But um, we, would, we were practicing every week and playing at places. People in Utah didn't really love instrumental groove hip hop music but this album came out and it was just it was just better than anything in terms of the musicality in terms of the confidence and the the not needing to show off but doing something very special this song specifically though to me it has a more spiritual and more um kind of uh vulnerable vibe to it i mean he's he's talking pretty openly i guess and about you know his connection to his home and as a white person who listens to a lot of music made by black people in america sometimes i have that feeling of you know how much of this is cultural appropriation how much of you know and am i listening because it's just other from me and so it's intriguing you know what is it oh geez and, come on and so listening to this song can we can we address that that whole cultural appropriation thing is way overdone let's hear it well, I mean, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I don't think like, any of the three of us are in a yeah. position to make that claim. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about that. Especially when when you you look back in the in the what was did you watch that documentary, Jason? Called uh, what is it called? Beats Beats Rhymes in Life. Yep. Did you see that? Yeah. They make some good points on there about like you know seventy eighty percent of the the hip-hop buying public are white males and so what's driving the kind of hip-hop that you brandon are critical of is it is it white people driving what they want to see black people to be and black black men having to say hey i want to make money as a musician but i can't do it with the music the way i want to so i better um talk about getting hoes and shooting people up and then then i might get listened to more because that's what white people want to buy well also thinking about it, I I misspoke. I didn't just mean hip hop. I I meant like all the the most. Well, this is probably a different 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 topic. Yeah. We'll, we'll get back to that. But <laughs> yeah, but cultural was- appropriation. I uh, I think I don't know. I think some of it is people just trying to trying to look smart and finding things to criticize. Yeah. Well, here, here's um, all. But yeah, like go ahead. people of of certain cultures or backgrounds being curious and trying to appreciate the, the art or the, the culture of other things that they didn't grow up. I I think that's something to be valued, not shamed. Definitely. Definitely. I guess what I want to say is with this, with this album, I mean, there's songs on it. There's a song called devil's pie where he's singing about like um, all this stuff that I can't relate to, you know, like people wanting to, deal drugs and, and get a slice of the devil's pie on a human level. You can, you can, you can, I can identify with, you know, the selfish parts of me and things like that. That's what he's singing about. But there's sometimes where I'm listening to hip hop where I'm kind of like, I love this song. I like it a lot. I like this part about it. But then um, I guess this Africa song, it, it, 
it acknowledges that more um kind of his his own to me i take it this way of him singing about this kind of spiritual connection of where he's from and it's so it's so obvious that this isn't me and yet i can i hear the spirituality and and the longing and the kind of emotion and and so that's the one of the reasons i picked that one mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I think, there's a lot of topics in here we could go into other areas that we won't for today yeah and i think i think the the sensitivity around it jordan is is duly noted but i think it's but you know part of maybe what inspires that is because this is a it is a thoughtful spiritual album so the the album mm-hmm. The, the collective that helped make this was a group called the Soulquarians. And you had like Questlove, Jay Dilla, um, Erica Badu, Erica Badu. Yeah. And they were, they're all kind of luminaries within their field. They're brilliant, brilliant artists and musicians. And they were also kind of combining spirituality and roots and culture and heritage. And Voodoo, this album was kind of the culmination of their work. They had all done individual stuff and they would kind yeah. of overlap and bleed into one another's projects. And this, this particular album was where they kind of all really came together, harnessing their powers, like, uh, like the Avengers, right. the Avengers right. of Neo Soul albums and, right. um, or Avengers, if you prefer. <laughs> the Avengers of Neo Soul. And, uh, <laughs> and D'Angelo himself is kind of this mysterious character that, um, is right. kind of this famous, this famous artist whose genius is pretty undisputed. Like some people would probably consider his talent and his genius level almost on par with like Prince, sure. um, but he's not nearly as prolific. He's very right. like particular and he'll just disappear for, for years without putting years. anything anything out but this album yep. was where it kind of came together and really put him on on people's radar and so yeah. this was cool because within its specific context it became really important but it also became really inspiring like outside of the outside of the genre and it, it's right. a really good album like i would highly highly recommend anybody even remotely interested in any of the topics or, or buzzwords that we just mentioned, or just like good, good soul music in general. This is like a must have album. It, yeah. it, it should be on in your collection. Right. And just to name drop two others, if people are interested is commons album, like water for chocolate and Erica Badu's album. Uh, what's it called? Mama's gun or I can't remember. Uh, yeah. I don't remember the names escaped yeah. me, but, but the same collective basically worked together to produce those and they came out i think in the same year and it was a pretty big 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 deal yeah great pick that's my pick all right okay who else Uh, you got a 2000 jason i've got a 2000 yeah do you okay nope all right so it's funny i came out of the gates saying how this was my i had more pop songs and then the very first track i list could not be like more of an underground song um (laughs) We'll get to the pop ones. Trust me. Uh, so first one I'm going to go with is from the year 2000, uh, a little group called the avalanches. And the song that I picked is frontier psychiatrist from the album. Since I left you, um, these guys were, they probably to a certain extent are cut from the same cloth as like a DJ shadow. Although they're not as, as DJ and hip hop bass, but they were making electronic 
music sample, very sample based music, which started to become more um, acceptable um, in part because of what DJ shadow did, but you had these people now that were using computers and samplers as instruments and they could build these really dense layers for songs that come came together really cool. And this one just has like a million different ingredients. Um, if it were poppier, it would probably fit right in line in like a Paul's boutique type album or an introducing type album. But I love this song. This one that I still have on rotation. If you've got it fired up, go ahead and Here we go, go. Ahead and, and hit Frontier, it. Frontier psychiatrist, the avalanches. Yeah. Mr. Kirk, Dexter's in school. I'm afraid he's not, Miss Fishmore. Dexter's truancy problem is way out of hand. The Baltimore County School Board have decided to expel Dexter from the entire public school system. Oh, Mr. Kirk, I'm an upset as you to learn Dexter's truancy, but surely expulsion is not the answer. I'm afraid expulsion is the only answer. It's the opinion of the entire staff that Dexter is criminally insane. Same, same, same. <laughs> He was white as a sheep. And he also made false teeth. Is this another one where everything they're doing is samples? Yeah, so this whole song, this whole track and most of this album is sample-based. They're from Australia, and they were just digging through old bins, finding any album that they could find and trying to get interesting tracks off it. And then they started trying to tell these these stories through samples. And this is where I said, like, sampling became an art unto itself, where because of computers, you could layer these over one another in a unique way where you could just create like a whole, a whole image with, with the samples combining together where you repurpose them. It's like taking hip hop to a whole separate kind mm-hmm. of artistic level. So this is a fun album, but this track in particular, it's just really interesting. Every time I listen to it, I hear something I didn't catch before a reference or a sample or an effect that I hadn't caught before. It's super dense and it's it's really fun. It comes together in a cool way thematically um, and tonally. It's it's just for me. It's really enjoyable to listen to. Like I totally think this is worth preserving. Yeah. So right. listening to this, like I can see why this song doesn't make like the Billboard Top 100 or whatever because it's um I don't know. There's there's a weirdness mm-hmm. to it. But is there is there something along those lines, like really sample heavy and combining stuff that you think uh, reached that level of popularity? I, I don't know. And I'm not sure also if it's part of it. Like it may be partially kind of an American consumer challenge as well. Weirdly, mm-hmm. this made it to number 18 in the United Kingdom on their um, on their singles chart. And huh. that's. 
several several of the songs that I've picked have higher UK single ratings than they did in the United States. I think the American public just has a, a different kind of expectation. They they want McDonald's sometimes when there might be a a little bit more complex. Well, or we want option. like distinguishable vocals and a chorus. Yeah. And- right. They want right. a traditional right. a traditional traditionally composed song i'm trying to think jordan anything come to mind that would be comparable to this that would be more in the in the mainstream i can't think of anything right now and if you can't then i don't think i will be able to i mean you're the sample maybe by the end of this episode if anything has come to mind if anything comes to me i'll i'll let you know but yeah this is definitely like a a big thing of this this decade and maybe yeah. we'll get into later on some of the like this is where um oh like remixing what what i'm spacing mash-ups. on the, the word mashups the, the, the gray mash-ups. album yeah, yeah like yeah like uh danger mouse and uh yeah because computers are allowing you to take out instruments or vocals and right and mix things up like that yeah yeah, cool. Good pick. Good pick. The Avalanches. Nice. Great great track. All Very right. Nice. 2001? I have a 2001. As do I. Why don't I go? Go for it. Um, okay. Uh, this is from one of my all-time favorite bands. Uh, also, they have not not really broken into the mainstream. Maybe maybe a tiny bit with uh, one or two songs on some commercials, but uh, this is the band Low. They're from mm. uh, the metropolis of Duluth, Minnesota. Um, very very northern climate, and I think they have kind of a northern northern vibe. Uh, so they are a three piece um, consisting of husband and wife Alan Sparhawk and Mimi Parker. And I think they've gone through maybe three different bass players slash keyboardists in their, in their career. Um, and I've uh, started listening to them in the, the late nineties. Their first, first few albums came out in the nineties, in the almost picked their song shame for the nineties. Um, but I thought I'd, uh, I'd save them for the two thousands. This, this is when they were get, getting slightly bigger and, uh, so this album is called Things We Lost in the Fire, and this is one of my favorite songs from theirs. It's the last track on the album called In Metal. Uh, Low, they're an interesting band, especially for the time, because they seem to be doing the opposite of what was popular, uh, especially coming in at like the height of the, the grunge slash post-grunge slash new metal like when when being as loud and angry as possible was was what was going to get you on the radio they their mentality was to be as quiet as possible mm-hmm. uh, i don't think they even used distortion on their guitars until maybe their sixth album or something um so they're they're very much more like minimalist mm-hmm. and you know trying trying to be quiet but but at the same time, their voices are very present and their lyrics are almost always understandable. So they're not, they're not hiding their lyrics like a lot of the, the shoegaze type bands are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love their melodies, love the, the harmonies 
when they're they're singing together um and it's i don't know it's kind of more of a meditative transcendent kind of experience for me so this is their track in metal uh this album was recorded right after their first child was born and i think you can see that in this song talking about uh being parents so here we go nice she's got this haunting voice that yeah love this this one uh alan doesn't i think he comes in with some some harmonies at the very end but i I also really like the songs where where they're singing together you've seen them they have a connection to provo and you've seen them live quite a few times is that right brandon yeah i've seen them seven or eight times and i have yet to hear them play this song live which uh, bums me out because it's it's one of the, my favorites. It's uh, really great, probably because I I have a uh, kind of special connection to it. Uh, so my my son Henry was born the year this came out, and I didn't have the album yet, but I I knew about it, and so I went to the hospital. Henry was born, and then you know I. had I was driving home and I'm like, I need to buy an album to celebrate. Stopped by Grey Whale, <laughs> bought, bought Things We Lost in the Fire by Low. That's awesome. I love that. Instead of the cigar, yeah. buy an album. Man, <laughs> That's right. You know how to do it right. That's great. <laughs> I didn't realize. So these guys are out of Minnesota? Yeah, out of Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota, weird hub for a, a lot of really good music. A lot of good music. stuff. Yeah. Even a, even a weird hip hop. Uh, Branch comes out of Minnesota with like the Rhymes Airs atmosphere. At- atmosphere, brother uh, Ali. Brother right? Ali, yeah, yeah. Would you call it shoegaze? Would you call this music shoegaze, or what would you call well, it? Well, kind of. I mean, I I think it's if if you're gonna lump it in a genre, then that's the one it fits in with best. Mm-hmm. Um, they they've seemed to have lasted longer than that. Right, definitely, and there yeah. there's some differences, but but the main qualities are there. I mean, the the heavy guitar effects, 
um the uh the l- slow tempo of the uh um lyrically they seem to be doing more than most most shoegaze like is there just two of them in it mm-hmm. and a, and a bass player mm-hmm. on this one it is zach sally his name but um the whoever there there's the third person is i don't think has ever sung but they contribute in other ways yeah yeah, they've they've always been a three piece. Whenever I've I've seen them, and on every album, and occasional other instruments, you know, strings or whatever. Yeah. So you're gonna you're gonna check them out, George. They, yeah. They're right up your alley. I need to listen to them more for sure. I'll make you a, a best of low list. I've I've listened to them a lot. Like I could identify them, but I've never I've never like gone through an album, you know, and just listened to the whole thing and had it in my regular rotation. Yeah. Yeah, I want, uh, as far I want that as whole, best of list to hook a brother up. As far yeah. as whole albums go, this is probably my favorite one, Things We Lost in the Fire, and then the one mm-hmm. after this called Trust. How many albums um, do they have? At least 10, I think. Nice, nice. Okay. All right. Where are we at? 2001 still, right? Yeah, I got mm-hmm. a 2001. Jordan, do you have one? I do not. All right. No 2001. I have another one as well. Uh, you want me to go? Yeah. All right. Um, this is an- this one. So this is one that I would describe as pop and as mainstream. Like this is a song people have heard, um, which I, I kind of veered away from, especially in the 90s, a little bit in the 80s. Um, but it's a really good song from a really uh, significant group. So I'll just jump right to it. It's Outcast, The Whole World. Mm. Um, it they So they had already, by 2001, they had really – kind of hit their, I think, cultural peak. And, you know, they, they had released probably their most significant albums by that point. And they were getting ready to, it's a, a two-person outfit out of Atlanta, um, Andre 3000 and Big Boy. They're getting ready to kind of go their separate ways. They put out this compilation album called, um, what's it called? On uh, Outcast Something Presents. I can't remember the name of the album now. Anyway. Um, Big Boy and Dr. Dre present, or Big Boy and Dre present Outcast. And this was released as an original track on a compilation album. It's kind of significant because it's one of the first big kind of pop culture moments that occurred after 9 11. Um, You'll hear it's so it's three main verses. Um, You've got the first verse is Andre 3000. The second verse is a guy named Killer Mike who's now in Run the Jewels. He's super good. And then the third verse is Big Boy. Andre 3000 shouts out, kind of subtly shouts out his um, his friends that lost jobs at the airport after 9-11. Um, and so it's got kind of a subtle cultural response to 9-11. But it was kind of this moment where pop was coming back in to kind of, kind of like what we were d- describing off the record before we started recording today, how during quarantine, these things that serve as distractions when they disappear, like sports and TV and movies, um, they make us feel really unsettled. The same thing happened post 9-11 a little bit. And so you had kind of these significant milestone moments, like the first time the Yankees played after 9-11, it was significant. The first time Letterman came on TV again after Mm 9-11, it was significant. And the first time these certain singles were released, it became significant. And this was one of those, but it's a really cool song. There's, it's more complex than, than, than you might think. Like on the surface, there's a lot going on. Um, Killer Mike's verse in the middle is, 
freaking awesome. But the the whole thing just comes together really nice. You see their distinct artistic personalities kind of coming together for, I think probably their last great moment as, as a, a really important hip hop collective. <sighs> okay. Here we go. Yeah, I'm afraid like I'm scared as a dog, but I've got a new song and I want y'all to sing along. If his mama is a quarter daughter, must be a dime. I gotta meet her. Don't take no shots, I don't use a reaver. Asian, I don't even play the radio neither. Only if I need to know the sports or the weather. I'm a cool type of brother, but yep, your head I separate from the neck. See, ain't nothing changed. Hit the stage. Set a date, sucker. In battle, we can't engage. I'll slice you, wipe you, marry you, divorce you, throw the Porsche at you. It's what I'm forced to do. With my back against the wall, crack his back, y'all. Now it ain't went nowhere like heavy hat with style and jail in it. Throw a curl in it, dread that nappy shit up. Throw a shell in it. Whatever floats your boat, I find your lost remote. And this is for them niggas working at the airport who got laid off. I take my shades off. If you look straight in my eyes, you still might see your disguise. Because the whole, whole, whole world. This has a much different vibe than uh, most of the Outcast stuff that I'm familiar with. Yeah, this is a little I, bit. I haven't listened to any like full albums. Is is this uh, different from their standard? Yeah, this one I think is a little more pop friendly, a l- maybe a little bit more like slow down and traditional. Um, they're they're really artistic. They really pushed boundaries in a lot of different areas with what they did. The kind of this is Killer Mike right here. Got a distinct tone to his voice. Look how they shine, glitter, glisten, gloss, gloss. I catch a beat running like Randy Moss. Riding that bitch off like a brand new house. I'm rolling my stones, down to no mouth. Mommy, I'm coming, I hope you get off. I rock you on boat like a Leah, then talk. Back, back, forth, forth. Get that cell on course, course. Make that track of corpse, corpse. Rap, rock. So, you can turn it down a little bit. Um, so, they were, yeah, they pushed a lot of boundaries. They kind of engineered, created like a whole southern sound, like an Atlantis sound in hip hop and really put Atlanta on the map where hip hop had traditionally been kind of like New York and then West Coast. They they really put Atlanta on the map with yeah. kind of their Dungeon family crew. And this is not necessarily like if you listen to Bombs Over Baghdad or anything really on the Stinkanya or Equemini album, this this only is a little bit it's different. different. Yeah. It's more subdued. Um but I think it's I just, I think it's a great song. It's this would probably be like a good starting point for somebody that is interested in getting into Outcast, but maybe isn't ready for like you know their whole Stink on You album yet. Yeah, it's a it's a weird track. It's and they definitely have like a weird sensitivity or sensibility. Um, they have a lot of good 
and popular tracks from the 2000s like sorry miss jackson so fresh and so clean and then of course the hey ya phenomenon and yep. a lot of popular songs in the 2000s and they're yeah they were I like they them a lot they straddled the line really, really well. Like them and Jay-Z both kind of straddled that line between maintaining credibility within the, like kind of the, the world of hip hop, but also breaking popular, into a more yeah. popular, popular realm. Yeah. Outcast is great though. They're, they're all timers for me. Like they're, they're yeah. top 10 hip hop for me. No question of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good pick. I like it. Um, maybe this is a, a good time to bring up this this issue that I have. Not not regarding this song, but just uh, popular music in general. And probably especially starting in, in the 90s and continuing to, to the present. Uh, I remember a couple episodes ago in the 80s one, uh, when, uh, when we were playing... Um, Oh, who was it? Um, Furious Five. Grandmaster Flash. Grandmaster, Grandmaster Flash. Flash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you remember in that song you had you had mentioned there's a problematic lyric in there, right, Jason? Mm-hmm. Where they they use the word fags. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so now, like you know, looking back on on songs that have that, we're we're read it hesitant to to play that or at least feel like we need to acknowledge that um that what like yeah we don't approve of of uh of the slurs yeah of the slurs um which i which i think is i i think is the correct uh mindset for that like i i think anytime that those kind of slurs are are used is not something to be celebrated. Um, so I wonder why we don't have that same reaction to the word bitch. Mm. Like that just gets glossed over or passed over and mm-hmm. ne- never acknowledged. Yeah. I, I think we're starting to see a little bit more sensitivity around it. And it's even been a, a point of, I think, debate and contention within the world of hip hop a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a I don't want to jump too far ahead. There's another song where this specifically, in a much more overt way, will come up. That I had a a really tough internal debate on whether or not I was going to include, and I ended up including it. I think You're I talking about ninety nine problems. Yeah, and mm-hmm. there's a really there's some some interesting context. Um, and I don't, I can't decide like what percentage of the um, discussion because there's some interesting, thoughtful discussion around that song. Um, be, there's a, you can find on YouTube uh, an interview where Corn, Dr. Cornell West is sitting with Jay Z and they're talking about it. And Jay Z's talking about the importance of context in hip hop. Um, there's another discussion you can find online of, of there's a, 
a really thoughtful discussion. There's a, an author named ta Coates. He wrote for The Atlantic. He wrote a book called Between the World and Me. There's a, a video you can find specifically of him. He's doing a Q&A and a, a white woman raises her hand and says, what's the proper response for me if I'm at a concert, a hi, a, like a hip hop concert, and somebody uses the N word and should I sing along with that or not? And he gives a very thoughtful response that I, I think is is worth a listen where he talks about kind of culture and context. And he uses specifically an example of of using the word bitch. And so I, I think, um, you know, I, I, I'm not one for saying that we have to retroactively edit all our art that may be reflective of less tolerant times when it was created. But I think, I think thoughtful discussion and thoughtful discourse around the context of it is useful. I mean, you can go all the way back to language that was used by Mark Twain in, in you know huck finn books like should that be edited should that be scrubbed from history or should we just have yeah. a thoughtful thoughtful discourse and i think though i think the term <clears throat> bitch and even just how women in general have traditionally been objectified through through music um is is definitely worth worth having the yeah. discussion and i'll just add to this to say that like so there's oftentimes if, if a marginalized community kind of brings that word back, right? Like, so with hip hop, that's one of the arguments is that it's okay if a rapper says the N word, um, not just because it's okay for them because they're an artist, but because that community and that culture has taken that word back. But not all, not all black people feel that way, but there are people who I've heard use that argument that like, I get to say this and I'm saying it to my friends. This is, this is a, a term of endearment now. And I've heard the same thing from females saying that with the word bitch, but I think there is a double standard though, that you, you hear it from men. I'm less comfortable say, obviously with a white person saying the N word or with a male using bitch than I would be a female using it or a, a black person saying it. And I think the context is part of that similar to how queer used to be a slang that was negative. I mean, this is different, but it's, it's definitely been kind of taken back as an empowering and now even a oftentimes a preferred term for the LGBT community. Um, but I do think there's a kind of a double standard with the way hip hop um, uh, demeans women. And I think that it's almost like it's come, it, a lot of hip hop is coming from one marginalized community, but it's like, do they get a pass on, on uh, degrading women or using the term bitch. And I don't think, I think that is a discussion that's happening. And um, so I think it's a good I've, I've good just point. been surprised over the last decades that it seems to me that the discussion hasn't happened. Yeah. Maybe it is. Maybe it is now, but I, I, you know, I don't think it's that's happening in that, the mainstream, but I think, I think yeah. there it, it is starting starting to happen. I'm, I've seen, you know, more discussions around it and it's something, it's probably the biggest thing that hip hop has to reconcile within itself. Like it, it has to look in the mirror and say, is female objectification really an integral part of, of this art? And if it has been, how can we continue to celebrate yeah. and promote the art without doing this thing that was part of it for so long? Mm -hmm. Right. And I do think it goes beyond a, a specific genre. I mean, it's true. I think that genre, but I think it also is a human thing and, and, and look at the economics of what are, what 
are humans drawn to and why are we drawn to things that objectify women? And is that, is that bigger than one genre of music and one, you know, culture? Are we, cause, cause if there's not a demand for it, it doesn't exist, you know, like it wouldn't be there. And so um, that's where you should check out that, that documentary beyond uh, beats rhymes in life or beyond beats and rhymes. I think it's called mm -hmm. Brandon because it's a, it's a, it is this discussion going on. They're talking about hip hop objectification of women, um, you know, celebrating culture versus, you know, uh, demeaning people for sexual orientation or things like that. And, but, yeah. but you know that once, uh, once critics start, uh, start critic, <laughs> how can I not use the same word? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Well, once critics start, uh, you know, discussing the, the use of, of this word yeah. and, you you know we're gonna start seeing it on on Fox News about how now they're yeah, censoring yeah, yeah. it and we can't say bitch anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. all the alt right's gonna be like we need to be able to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it is tricky and it's weird too because there's certain people that reach like certain pinnacles where they're they're given a weird like cultural and artistic pass. Like if you look at if you watched either of the most recent Chappelle um, Netflix comedy uh episodes that he did they were both pretty problematic from a from a language and storytelling standpoint like if 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 a 21 year old comedian that nobody knew about would have recorded either of the last two specials that Chappelle recorded i think their career probably would have been over but Chappelle has this weird past because he has this he's like he's granted this permission to do right. certain things because he has, I think in certain people's mind, he has like artistic credibility, credibility built up where he's given this pass that this is yeah. art rather than uh, a reflection of a, of a, of a, an unacceptable opinion. And right. I think the same thing happens a little bit in, in music with, with certain artists. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't know that it's, um, I mean, I'm sure it's not just uh, not just hip hop. That's probably where we hear that that word specifically most frequently. But uh, the mentality's everywhere. I mean, all the Harvey Weinstein stuff. Yeah, well, and historically, hip hop is of, always of the same mentality. There, but there's a great clip I'll I'll share with you guys. There was an interview with Tupac. Um, somebody was asking him about gangster rap and he gives this really thoughtful answer about why gangster rap did what it does. And he explains kind of the history. He said, for years we politely were singing, asking for a seat at the table. And it's like, you have this group of people that are at a hotel and you can see all these other people eating nice food and we don't get the food and we're mm -hmm. politely singing as Motown artists. Mm -hmm. We're hungry. Please let us in. We're hungry. Please let us in. And eventually when you realize you don't have an equal seat at the table, you stop being polite and you reach the point of gangster rap where you pound on the door with your gun and you say, I'm coming through the door blasting and I want some of that food. And, and hip hop is kind of a reflection of, of what is intentionally uncomfortable and intentionally kind of pushing back and subverting. Um, that's why there's all those cultural implications with it. And so I think it's more overt in hip hop because they're going to use the language. They're going to say bitch. They're going to say ho, mm -hmm. whereas other forms, they may not be as in your face with it, but 
um, tonally and categorically, they're still, they're still doing the same. They're so guilty of the same, the same thing. Well, hopefully we see that, uh, that same stuff. And I think we're kind of starting to from, uh, from the female musicians, Mm-hmm. Getting some some pushback from them, mm-hmm. yeah. Get getting their their seat at the table because, yeah. I, I've just I've felt this way for for a long time. Just hearing that over and over on the on songs on the radio or what or wherever, and it's it's always bothered me. I'm like, why uh, why is no one acknowledging that this uh, this isn't <laughs> a right. healthy way to be yeah. uh, thinking of of people and. Uh, of thinking about women and I, I can see that sometimes it is used affectionately for whatever yeah. way. Like, um, well, but even, even that I yeah. think can be problematic. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're not going to call your mom that. that that's exactly what Coates says. I'll send you guys the clip of that after he talks about yeah. that. He goes, he goes, my, my wife and her friends, they may be walking down the street and jokingly say, call each other a bitch. And that works because that's acceptable language within their group. But I would never walk up to one of my wife's friends and even jokingly say you're a bitch because I don't have that right. So his point was there's certain things that an artist may be able to say that you may not be able to say. Um, and, and that's part of, you know, learning how to consume the art and understand right. what it's representing and reconciling it with what it may not represent in you. And in a certain way, it almost goes back to kind of the, the, the thoughtfulness that Jordan expressed around the D'Angelo album, like, can, can he enjoy that and celebrate that even though it's not a full reflection of where yeah. he comes from culturally and well, heritage-wise? One, one of the things that's interesting about all the music, each decade, we've been talking about music oftentimes that is pushing boundaries, that's pushing social convention and mores and stuff. And so interesting, you know, if there's something you can't say or can't do, a lot of times there will be a, a music in the youth tradition that will say, we're going to do that more than anyone. And, and so eventually it can be, become the next thing to push against that. Or more realistically, I think what's happened like with the N-word in hip-hop is they've, they've like embraced it and said, this is what we call, we use this word to talk about our friends, to talk about people we don't like, to talk about a random person on the street. And so it's kind of lost the oppressive meaning it seems like to that, to, to, to that core group. And I, I've heard some of that same with, with the term bitch uh, with some female artists using that in the same ubiquitous way. And, mm-hmm. and it's, I think in some ways it might be more realistic that, you know, rather than everyone all of a sudden not using the term, because it's almost like if it's like, you can't use it, right. You will more in some ways. Um, but there will be new words. There already are new words that it's like, oh, they wouldn't say that. And then someone mm-hmm. says it and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, and who knows 20 years from now, our grandkids, the, might the be biggest saying fight, that. the biggest fight I ever broke up in public schools was because one girl called another girl a thought, which yeah. comes from a song acronym yeah. for that, that hoe over there. But th- that word thought became like the worst insult in that space sure. that you could call somebody. So, right. We're, yeah. we're, it's interesting mm-hmm. the the words, the words have power. It'll they have continue. It'll continue yeah. to shift. Yeah. In other words, okay. you're getting old, Brandon, and so are we. <laughs> and so the uh, words, the words that I'm offend what? us. Are, I said you're getting oh. old, and so are we. The words that offend us aren't offending the kids twenty years younger than us. Well, 
<laughs> I, I think I'm more trying to speak up for the uh, those, yeah, <laughs> those that are being offended but aren't yeah, aren't yeah. able to say anything for. Right. I mean, you look at the backlash that uh, what's her name that has the does the feminist frequency podcast about about you know talking about female representation in video games. Oh and, yeah, yeah. You know, now she gets death threats. Yeah. Anywhere she goes to speak and like it's don't, it's just so ridiculous. Don't mess with the video gaming guys. They're they're connected with the incels. They're scary. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So that was, did we, that was uh, did, Yeah, did we solve the world's problems on that? I think we did. All right. That was two thousand one. <laughs> I think Brandon, you have one more two thousand one. I do. And I've got, wait, let me just say right here, we can clap on this, but I actually, I should have said earlier, I do have a hard cutoff at noon that I have to, that I have to adhere to. I'm sorry, guys. Um, hey, at least it's not 10. I know. At least I'm getting, I'm, <laughs> I'm here for three, three hours. I'm sure hours you were going to surprise us with a hard cutoff at 10. No, no, it's noon. <laughs> it's noon. So, uh, oh, we're good. Let's try to get to 2004 or five if we can. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Uh, 2001. Um, another one of my favorites. And this, I think this is a perfect example of what I was talking about earlier with um, why some of these more independent kind of under the radar pop songs didn't, didn't make it as huge hits. I, I think this is, this is an example of one that has all the qualities of a huge hit. And I don't know why it wasn't. Uh, this is Sandra Lerke. The song mm-hmm. is Modern Love Nature. Love it. I, I think I heard this one from Jordan originally. I'm so pumped mm-hmm. about Brandon's list so far. Mixtape. This is incredible. It's a great list. It's a great uh, list. Do you know Sandra Lerke, Jason? No, I'm pumped that you're just oh. throwing stuff out that I don't know. Okay. Well, if you're hearing this for the first time, then you'd be the judge of if this should have been like a, a top 10 hit when it came out. Here we go. Come to face the truth I'm wide awake And so are you Do you have a clue What this is Are you everything That I miss We'll just have to wait and see If things go right We're meant to be The surface is gone We scratched it off We made some plans I let them go Constantly crafted pop song, in my opinion. Uh, Sandra Lerke, he's from Norway. Uh, kind of a musical wunderkind. He, re- he recorded this album when he was 19. Um, all, As far as I know, all original songs. And he, he's been putting out tons of albums since then. All, all really great stuff. 
Um, I, I like it. It sounds like it's from a different era. It's kind of that uh, Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald back and forth, like something that could have been yeah. from a musical or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This song, so Brandon, I, re- I think I did introduce you to them. I think you're right. And Joanna introduced me to Sandra Lerche from, of all places, NPR, driving mm-hmm. around in the early 2000s and hearing hearing a song on there and then you know maybe an interview with him or something but um he also did the uh soundtrack for the the movie with steve carell dan in real yeah. life so yeah. he's and great. I, that's probably where he got his uh his biggest popularity yeah or where people who's, might have who's heard of the, him. Who's the female vocalist on this? Is she just a guest or does she normally sing know. with him? No, she's only on this song. Yeah. He uh I heard in an interview with him that she was she's a little bit older than him. And he wrote the song specifically for her because he had a crush on her. <laughs> Thought that this would be the uh she was a babysitter. Yeah, <laughs> and then, then he's like, "It didn't work." <laughs> there's a there's a tone in this song that, to me, is very indicative of a lot of indie music in all in the 2000s. It's a ha- there's a happy. It's almost like what sweet, was the name happy, of that group that it was right? M Ward and Zoe Deschanel? Was it called them? She and him. She, she, and, she and she oh, and she and her. Was she and him. She and, yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of from that same yeah. cloth. Mm-hmm. You've got Feist with her, you know. Mushaboom! Mm-hmm. It's it's songs that are really great and really. It seems like they contrast the angstiness of like the kind of alternative yeah. indie of the '90s and people yeah. who are in that same scene and are ready for something in a major key, something that sounded kind of sweet and happy and just like well put yes, together. Definitely, I, I noticed that the yeah the the indie music and I don't know that we even called it indie music in the '90s, so that might have been a, a 2000s. Phenomenon. We called it alternative in the nineties. Yeah, we, we sure yeah. did. Because you still had to be on a record label. Yeah, yeah. You, you had small record labels, but it wasn't like you could just. Well, what do it, it was in your house. the the bigger record labels just had branches, like you had Reprise with Warner, or you had Slash right. or whatever. But yeah. they were still part of the same conglomerate. Well, yeah, very much the the indie music of the two thousands overall feels a lot more optimistic than yeah in the nineties and and. Like you said, smart pop. I think that's where you were going, Jason. When you yeah. said pop music got better, I think Brandon and I were both thinking, no, pop music was horrible. But you're thinking of this kind of the kind of smaller. But that's like, exactly what I'm thinking about. Like the that's labels a perfect... that are not too small. They're big enough that they have a website and yeah. you can go to it. Like you couldn't you couldn't go to the website of you know sub pop in the '90s or you know maybe the end of '90s, not not in the mid '90s, but in the 2000s, you could go to Matador and Sub Pop and Merge, all these like different. Um, labels and find out who was going to play and you're in salt lake city and yeah like that song is unquestionably a pop song like that's Mm -hmm. almost like a bubblegum pop song but it's smart it's good it like to me why 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 is that not a huge hit because it's too good (laughs) too good for the radio so here's a here's a hot take i haven't i haven't shared a hot take for a minute this is here's a hot take i just had so we were just kind of talking about a political thing, I guess, or a cultural thing in the two thousands, it feels like there started to become a greater demand, like to join outrage culture, you know? And I wonder if that same demand has crept into art. Like, I wonder if the way you're, um, the way you rebel and subvert now is to be that major key, like 
pop and just be positive because I think there's almost a demand of the art that it be yeah. like this outrage response as well to whatever's bugging people. And so something like that is, is just kind of smart and fun, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, top 40, I don't know. Well, it's kind of, I think there's something that goes on top 40 versus indie. They're always like the top 40 is always catching up. So mm-hmm. in the nineties, yeah. alternative music was angsty, yeah. but then two thousands, popular music was more angsty in terms of yeah. whether whether it's some 41 or that kind of like system of a down you know the kind of the rock music that creed. was played on the radio creed <laughs> it was more it was angsty and so the underground had moved on from that to say that's lame that's you know you're like let's do something fun that sounds happy and that became mm. su- subversive somehow yeah that's what i'm saying i don't know maybe who knows any cool cool pick so this reminds me too. Th- this is one of the thoughts I had earlier when we were talking about like pop and indie pop in the two thousands. And I, when we were doing the word association, I thought of this, but I didn't know how to express it in one word. But indie mm-hmm. soundtracks started becoming really significant to movies. Uh, yeah, like, like think TV about what, what happened to the Shins because of um, Garden State. Garden State, mm-hmm. State. and yeah. and like that's a story that. Can, like the way Spike Jones was using music in yeah. his movies, and Wes um, Anderson with Elliot Wes Smith. Anderson, yes, yeah. and so indie music became the soundtrack for some some movies that became really important to people. Yep, yep. Like indie for pop sure. specifically. Yeah, for sure. Great pick, Brandon. Okay. Thanks. Are we going on to two thousand two? Yep. Okay. Um, I don't have any more until two thousand four. I have two two thousand twos. I do too. I've got two of them, and I'll go. I'll go first. Um, this was tough because uh, it's as you guys know, I'm whittling away my list, and in fact, part of me wants to take this one off because I think Jason might have something from this album. But I'll just go ahead and and do it. It's a it's a Flaming Lips song from. I know we had a Flaming Lips in the '90s, but this song, this album, the uh, Yoshimi battles the pink robots is just Mm -hmm. a great album specifically the singles off you know the the title track um do you realize and fight test are three songs that just totally yeah i don't have anything off this i'm glad you picked it because it needs to be preserved i decided to to choose fight test from mm-hmm. the, the, I love all three of those songs, but I want to listen to Fight Test. Let the test begin. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. So this song just kind of sounds like the decade to me, especially the kind of the, the middle of the decade, because that's what I was listening to. I, I didn't have the album when it first came out, but within the next couple of years. Um, but yeah, I don't have much to say ab- about it um, other than just it's a great song, great kind of pop music from an alternative band, you know, alternative pop, indie pop, whatever you want to call it, indie rock. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fight test by the flaming lips.
This reminds me, we uh, we didn't have anything from, from Kid A, Radiohead, or Amnesiac. We kind of um, got our Radiohead fill last week, yeah, I think, think for we last time. We played <laughs> an the, entire song. Yeah, This seems true. to be kind of going, kind of showing that that same evolution of where, where the 90s was all about like going back to guitar rock and... Um, but this one's cool. This is a you know, pop real, song again. This is unquestionably right. a pop song, but it's yeah. freaking cool. Here, I love this song. Here, the, I think this is a perfect example of that melding of like, like yeah. what Radiohead started to do and what Bjork was doing. That melding of acoustic instruments with computer yeah. instruments, yeah. synthesizers, and samples, and pioneered yeah. in 1971 uh, by The Who on Baba O'Reilly, as I shared. <laughs> Earlier, and you guys were so dismissive. Get the of heck out of here! He's hurt. He's hurting. <laughs> we dissed him. We invalidated his who. Great. His no, thing. a great pick. This needs to be preserved. Yeah. This is a, yeah. a really good album. Really good I love song. The whole album. They have they this this song specifically, and a few bands that I like that are similar have the ability to somehow create nostalgia, and yet there's kind of a futuristic vibe. And nostalgia and happiness and some melancholy at the same time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, love it. Uh, and I like uh, Flaming Lips are a good example of, I think we mentioned this with Neil Young too. He's got that kind of Neil Young voice. Yeah. Uh, or who else was he reminding me of? Um, Les Claypool. Like that kind of, kind of, I mean, they are to more extent than Neil Young is. Neil Young can have a nice voice. I can't picture Wayne Coyne mm-hmm. having uh-huh. a nice voice. <laughs> like he's just got this this kind of squeaky, yeah, uh, weird sounding voice, but it works. It's it's inspiring. But he, muster, in that way. he musters all of his sincerity into it, and it's yeah. it, it works perfect with the music. It does and and they were they're cool just because they were they push so many boundaries. They're so like simultaneously experimental, but also like adhering to some pop ethos right they're yeah. just they're a super cool band very cool maybe later on we should get into if they've got any stuff worth listening to after this one mm. i've oh there's brandon's you know, they've hot still take. put in they put a in take. a ton of albums after this which i like some stuff kind of but i i haven't responded to any of their later albums like i have to the to Yoshimi and South yeah. Bolton. Yeah. But for, for later discussion. That's a fair assessment. Yeah. Okay, what's next? All right, Jason, you're up. Yeah, I've got, I've got two 2002s. Uh, Brandon, do you not have any 2002s? Nope. Oh, wow. I'm Well, I don't know if Jordan's other one is from this list. I'm surprised. This is... Got one this, more. This yeah. is kind of an important album from this era. Um, I'll just cut right to it. It's Wilco off of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Um, you guys Wilco fans? <laughs> I am. Sure. I've got a sure. different album. A different album. Nice. Yeah. I, Jason, I ha- can you hear Jordan? No, he was blipping out a check little out bit. Wilco. Yeah, I can't hear Jordan. He, I caught just a p- 
piece of it. I think no. his Jordan, Jordan, you there? Hey, I testing, testing, one, two, three. Jordan, you're back. I think you're Kinda. experiencing a, I think a momentary. I think your boys must be must be streaming uh, Call of Duty or something. They might be streaming. Yeah, let me see what's going on here. <laughs> they might be. Your bandwidth oh, getting sucked up. I've been doing like therapy from like the, like this for the last few weeks, and every once in a while, all of a sudden it'll be glitches, and I'll be like, you know, and I I I tell Joanne and the kids like, okay, this is the timeline, and so please don't get on the because it's been but it's hard because uh-huh. they've got to do school and stuff. Yeah, but I've had a few sessions where I like text Joanna, and she's like, oh yeah, Joanne, Sonny just got on and is playing Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> like what? <laughs> you know like take they it don't off care. they don't care what you're doing i've, I've got to make a living <laughs> Come on. so we were uh jordan was just talking yeah. about how he likes wilco and brandon was talking about how he's meh on wilco yeah sorry well Bra- brandon's wrong That's- sorry hipsters yeah. <laughs> oh man shots fired Okay, Aren't you a re- dad? Re- Don't you like the dad rock? It's dad rock. It's absolutely it's, dad rock. You've um, got to embrace the dad rock. So you, well, you, can, you guys, I'll leave it up to you guys to convince me. It's not okay. that I haven't listened to it. It just hasn't hasn't struck a chord with me yet. So okay. they were on, uh, I think they were on Reprise Records, and they recorded this album, and Reprise didn't love it, and Reprise dropped them. So they had this album, they had been paid for it, and they didn't have a label and they, it, they leaked it and another, I think non such records, which is also weirdly a, a, a Warner brothers affiliate picked them up and released this album. But this was kind of their make or break moment. Um, Yankee hotel Foxtrot. And it ended up being kind of what's widely considered their, their, I guess, opus, their, their real significant album. Um, it's a great album. I love it. This for me, this is like, kind of the epitome of 2000s music for what I was listening to, probably because it is dad rock. Like that's where I was becoming a, a dad and, uh, mm-hmm. and dad rock. I don't know. I don't even love the term dad rock. Like no. it's, a, it's a damn good album in any, yeah. in any decade. Um, so the, the song I picked is I'm trying to break your heart. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really cool. It's, there's so many different parts. It sounds simple on the surface. There's a lot of space where uh, where things can grow, but there's a ton going on. It's a really complex uh, song, so go ahead and fire up. I am trying to break your heart off of Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot album.
pick this song jason i think it's a really cool example of um like clever and good uh song craftsmanship the the way the bass and the drums syncopate is is really cool it's just interesting to me it's something i want to keep listening to they add like weird ingredients you've got like a weird wood block at certain points you've got off timing on the drums like it's hard to 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 play the beat along with this but then it'll go into this melodic chorus there's a longingness to a kind of a wistfulness to it that is common mm-hmm. in wilco's music and i think that's part of what kind of appealed to me in this decade with them it, they they have and they get called dad rock i think because it's like it's not edgy it's not abrasive it's not there's not distortion they're not like raging against any particular machine but there's this constant wistfulness to their music um that i think it's it's in the tone of jeff tweedy's voice but lyrically as well there's there's always kind of a a mystery and a longingness in in what they do and for whatever reason this one just just does it for me um it's a song that i think works better if you listen to it on a good system where you can, you can really hear kind of the detail of the song. This wouldn't, yeah. this would never be like a top 40 song because on a crappy car radio, it's just going to sound like off timing mush, but in a, with, with good, clear, you know, crisp speakers or headphones, it's a really cool sonic experience for me. Yeah. I like yeah. all the, all the cool sounds that are going on with the, the weird percussion stuff. Yeah. Sounds like, like like household instruments. Yeah. So I had a, a Wilco pick, but it's from 2007. And interestingly enough, when I was reading about the critical reception to the album from the song that I picked, that's where one of the uh, critics complained that it was too much dad rock. And so, because <laughs> they were saying it was, it was further, further more accessible and kind of, Whatever. It was the, the daddest dad rock that ever dadded. Most da- yeah, but I, but I think that's why I love it so much. But, but that's from uh, the Sky Blue Sky yeah. album. But I love this song. I didn't get into Wilco until a couple years after this album. Um, you can kill I, the song now if you want, great. Brandon, so it doesn't, we don't have yeah. to talk over it. Oh, is it still loud for you guys? It's just it loud enough. It's, oh, it's weird. 
It's well, the so other quiet thing is, for me. Okay. I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can hear you guys really good in my headphones, but I can't hear myself. Yeah. Is that oh. normal? Is that how it is for you guys too or no? That's just how your headset's set up. Yeah. And so when the music's on, I feel like I'm shouting, but I don't know if you guys oh. feel like I'm shouting. No. I, I'm just trusting Brandon that you can do all the levels and stuff. <laughs> but yeah. I might need to put two volume things in here so I can adjust it because having to, like this volume bar goes from one to a hundred and yeah. I had it on two while yeah. we were talking and you're saying it's too loud. Stuff. You could potentially, <laughs> I'm, I'm serious, you could potentially yeah. try it at one and even at when you're playing it at its peak, I think uh-huh. you said that was 36. Yeah. That's, 38. that's almost too high still. Yeah. It is like, you could oh, probably okay. drop, you could probably drop that three or four. So like to, yeah, or to 30, you could probably Jeez, go one. I and why that is. It's so weird. Super loud. Yeah. Gonna... Anyway, uh, Wilco is kind of, they're kind of like the poster boys for dad rock for whatever reason, which is so weird to me because they make like legitimately good rock. I don't know if it's a reflection of their age or just a demand for more, um, edginess to what they do. But the thing is they like, this isn't music for Sunday school. Like yeah. when you listen to something like handshake drugs or, um, you know, whatever there's, yeah. there's, they have like, uh, almost like a Dylan esque view mm-hmm. of the world. Like they're, they're singing about, they're not well, singing about the, the friendly sunshiny parts of see, life. I, I never would have associated them with, with dad rock. I, I picture them more in the Elliot Smith yeah. realm. Mm-hmm. May, well, but I, I think what's, what doesn't do it for me, at least not yet, is probably his voice mm-hmm. and the melodies are, well, at least on that song, the melody is really boring to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's just the, the same thing over and over. There's no chorus. And his voice is such a sad sack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which probably, uh, pr- a proper reflection of my two thousands. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you hit on something, Jason, when you mentioned like the wistfulness. I was thinking, what what makes dad rock dad rock? And then I was thinking, I was thinking dads, and maybe I was just you know internalizing too much. But I was thinking, oh yeah, it's that sense of like, you know, like I didn't really reach my dreams, but here I am living a good life, listening to good music, and you know, there's a little rock, rock tinge like of melancholy. Here. Yeah. I think dad, dad rock now is to me refers to more like Wilco is the pin, pinnacle. At least when I hear people reference it or read people referencing it, it's like, yeah. And like, oh, if you so see a pit, when pitchfork jokes about it or whatever, no, yeah, always it'd be right band of center. horses. It'd be, I think flaming lips would be in there with dad rock. It would be, I mean, it's probably like the, the indie music that's not too edgy, but that's good. That's quality of like 10 years before whoever's calling it dad rock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's okay. my, there's my first 2002. I have another 2002 as well. And I've got another one as well. Um, go for it, George. I'll go ahead with mine. So, oh, it's so tough to trim this list, but I'm going to go ahead with a band. It's an instrumental band. Um, some people refer to them as avant groove. When I say some people, I just saw that in Wikipedia, but they're like a groove funk uh, uh, inspired band, Medeski, Martin and Wood. They were most kind of the nineties really was their decade, but to me, their best album, their pinnacle was released in 2002. Um, 
it's called Uninvisible is the album. They had a great album in 99 as well, Combustication. Um, but Modeski, Martin, and Wood, uh, it's a trio. You've got an organ player who was a classically trained, you know, Juilliard musician. And then there's a drummer, Billy Martin, who, uh, for you, Jason, I'm sure you know Modeski, Martin, Wood, but he's very influenced by the New Orleans, by the um, the funk, kind of the meters style drumming. And so you yeah, hear that a lot Al- of that. Alan Toussaint kind of syncopated cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then Chris Wood, um, the bass player. But this album has a whole bunch of other stuff, kind of like what we were talking about, Brandon, with the merging acoustic with with uh with um more uh digital mm-hmm. kind of sounds and electronic sounds and merged with horns and it's a big there's a big ensemble that did a lot of stuff but Modesky Martin Wood those three are the the main players so we'll just do the title track off of this album it's a great album the song is Uninvisible from 2002 by Modesky Martin and Wood Modesky, Martin, and Wood, there was other kind of instrumental groove acts going at the same time. Late 90s, early 2000s, you had, um, what, what's their name? Soul Live. You had um, Carl Denson's Tiny Universe. Around this time, I saw a lot of these bands live. Um, I saw Maceo Parker live, which was amazing. I saw him a couple times. Um, but yeah, this to me is their best album. And just awesome, awesome groove music. Love okay. it. Yeah, this right. is so. When I was, when I was, um, let's see, what was the word I use? Um, evaluating copies of albums that I was acquiring over the internet um, mm-hmm. in the early. 2000s. I think I cleverly used my words well enough there. <laughs> Lots of evaluation yeah. copies of of me- albums and songs, like like uh, terabytes of hard drive drive space worth. Yeah, um, yeah. This is one. This one. This that track totally takes me to a certain point in my time where I had a portable hard drive full of like more songs than a human could ever listen to. And I had all their albums like cataloged there and I would go to them frequently there. It's a super fun band. They've got good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's my 2002. Who's got a? Two? I've got a 2003. You got one, Brandon? I've got one more 2002, and then I've got a 2003 oh, that's right. too. That's right. Let's hear it, Jason. Uh, 2002. Uh, we heard from this guy last decade, and I was saving my pick for him for this decade because my favorite album by him is this decade. But we've talked about him on a couple of different episodes. It's a Beck song. My, uh, I, I think Beck is kind of the modern in, in incarnation of of David Bowie. He's I use the term chameleonic. He every album sounds different than the album before it. And he released my favorite album by him in the 2000s. And it's his album, Sea Change. It's his mm-hmm. kind of take on a singer-songwriter album. And um, my favorite song on this one, I was going to go a di- couple different directions, but I decided to kind of selfishly indulge in my just my own personal favorite off this one. And it's a track called Paper Tiger. Um, mm-hmm. This is a cool song. Uh I'll let you play it a little bit and then I'll um I'll give you kind of my take on it which I think is is at least critically shared there's a, kind of an interesting genesis of this song but it's cool it's a real slow build it's a very mellow song with a real slow build but there's some cool ingredients it, he brings in some strings eventually and and does some cool stuff with it but it's got a really cool just subdued kind of groove feel to it nice it's nice Definitely not it, you. What is wrong <laughs> with you? Why would you do this to me? <laughs> oh my gosh. This is, oh my gosh. Have you ever. <laughs> wow. There's, there's wow. the running bit. There's the running bit where every time. Every time Paul Rudd is on Conan. He's That's pitching his movie, and he ends up playing a clip from that, uh, that alien movie called Mac and Me. And like 18 years, and this is becoming my Mac and Me, where I queue up a, a song that I feel really passionately about, and Brandon has queued up like the worst representation the worst ever. of that decade. And because I can't see what's going on, he hits me, and it takes like five notes before I realize that this dude's just messing with me. He's messing with you big time. Unbelievable. <laughs> I love it. Love well, what's it. funny is I, I have it queued up uh, before I know was what it, you're going to pick. Was that Hoopa Stink? Was that it was Hoopa Stink, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, I watched I watched Hot Rod with my kids this week, and uh, there's this stupid part in it where I think it's right where Sandberg wakes up from knocking himself unconscious, and the first word he utters is "Hooba stink," and it's a joke <laughs> that most people miss. And I was I was wiping tears from my eyes, and my kids didn't know why I was laughing. But. That's awesome. <laughs> stink. Unbelievable. I, yeah, I just queue it up, and I'm like, whatever, Jason says next i'm gonna play this one and it's it's always like a a really intimate (laughs) (laughs) okay paper tiger oh my goodness just like a paper tiger torn apart by idle hands through the hell to skelter morning Fix yourself while you still can No more ashes to ashes No more 
Glad so, you picked uh, picked this. Right there, I talked about my goosebumps moments. Like the hair on my arms is standing up with that slinky bass, yeah. and then the strings go- coming in behind it, and that rim tap drum set. It works so perfectly for me. It just it absolutely gets me. It's it's incredible composition where he just took like like seventies groove combined with big strings, and then him just subtly singing over the top, and it comes together so perfectly. Beck awesome. is really a fascinating artist. The, this album was a real eye-opener for me. I wasn't yeah. aware of some of the, the deep tracks that Jordan was. So yeah. so this was the first I'd heard of him, um, you know, slowing things down, ballads, or even being serious at all. Like, yeah. his his previous stuff is very fun. Um, also very goofy, and you you wonder what, what he takes seriously. You know, very, very clever rhymes and lyrics. Yeah. Um, but you get the feeling that he's just screwing around all the time. And so here he shows his more serious side. And so, yeah, I love that he's, he's got that range and, and isn't, uh, isn't afraid to, you know, expose himself more, more personally this way. Yeah. His yes. voice too. He's, he has the most amazing vocal range. Yeah. It's amazing. Here you see that he's, he's like a natural baritone, you know, yeah. Jim Morrison. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then on his other stuff, he can sing like on Deborah. He can go, he can go so unbelievably high. high which uh, yeah. at first I was listening to that. I'm like, I wonder if they sped this up afterwards to make it higher than what he can really hit. Because I can't, I can't come anywhere close to it's hitting amazing those notes. What he can but do. he does it live. He does it live. I was going to say, there's a ton of live performances of Deborah, and he nails it. He kills he it. He nails it. I've got a, I've got a story about this album. A short, very memory. It's. We lived in, Joanna and I moved to Burbank, California, where I was going to start working at Disney as an intern. But I went to Amoeba the day this album came out, Amoeba Music in Burbank. I bought the album, listened to it in the parking lot and was just loving it. And that whole year, this was the album I listened to more than any other. And I was, while working, you know, down there as my first like full-time job as a dad and we had our first child on the way um my the first i was trying to write screenplays the first screenplay i ever wrote full feature length screenplay was called lost cause which was based off of the feeling of the song and and fit the theme of the so in my head it was like owen wilson's gonna play my lead character (laughs) and beck's lost cause is gonna be like the song in that speaking of you know using it's gonna be your garden state Yes, yes, that was the plan. So, so this uh, this was in heavy rotation for me. Yeah, I, this is still an album I come back to often. It's it's my favorite Beck album. I think it's an all timer. It's him 
like Brandon said, being serious and really channeling um, his art in a, in a different way than he had. And I think a lot of people saw a different side to him where, where they, it was eye opening where he's not just a, a kind of a wacky pop guy. He's mm-hmm. a really, really diverse artist with depth. Um, yeah. interesting side note on this album. It was really influenced. There's a, there's an interesting French pop album from the, um, seventies, early seventies. I almost picked it in the seventies. It's by a guy named Serge Gainsbourg. Serge. Yeah. Serge called, Gainsbourg, yeah. uh, history de Melody Nelson. It's, it's problematic in that it basically celebrates a love affair between a, a middle-aged man and an underage girl, but yeah. musically. He, he was a notorious pervert. Yeah, mm-hmm. he is. He was, but musically, the album—it's like the pinnacle of French pop. If you're interested in '60s, '70s French pop, which has a weird following, that album is the best. And if you listen to that album side by side with "Sea Change," it's impossible to hear to not hear the influence. It's a musically that Gainsbourg album is incredible, and it, mm-hmm. I think it's like the perfect partner for "Sea Change" by Beck. If you're if you're looking to do like while you're quarantined, if you're looking to do a, a music nerd deep dive, listen to Sea Change and then listen to History of the Melody Nelson by Serge Gainsbourg. Yeah. Nice. Will nice. do. You know, his other Beck's other two thousand albums are underrated. Um yeah. underrated. His other both the information and modern guilt. Guero got some more Guero's great as well, but that got more publicity and people like that one but the information I love, my kids guilt. love love guero that's a it's a it's super really fun good. album it's really good i like all of his albums from the 2000s are good yeah good pick all right 2003 uh, i've got a 2003 and i've got a 2003 as well so go for I'll, it. I'll go ahead and go first so this pick it was hard to pick which song for this but this is by one of my favorite artists, um, his name is Phil Elverum. He's from Anacortes, Washington, which is where I'm, I'm from Centralia, Washington, the Northwest. And Jason, you know a little bit about the Northwest, as I recall, yeah. right? You were in yeah. Tacoma for a couple of years. So Phil is, I think he was born in 1978 in June or July, and I'm, I'm July 21 of 78. And so when I first started listening to his music, it was actually, I came into it a little later in 2007, like literally listening to a college radio station in Columbia, South Carolina, when we had just moved there, I didn't know anyone. I was kind of regretting the decision to, to move with my wife and two kids to South Carolina to do a master's in social work. I was thinking, oh, I should have done film. I'm hating school and all this stuff. And, and I'm driving around from uh, one night, I think coming back from, from, from a late class and I've got this college radio station on and they play this song. Um, by this guy named Mount Erie. And so I start listening to the music, Mount Erie, and I dive in and um, very much kind of the college radio type music. It's kind of understated singer songwriter type stuff, um, kind of poetic existential. But anyway, the song I'm picking from him isn't the one I heard that night. It's from he, before he was Mount Erie, he was known. uh, His band was the microphones. Um, Jordan likes the people yeah. that have multiple name multiple changes throughout names their career. For some reason. I, but I don't know that. I don't seek that out. It's just they tend to be that way. But yeah, Bonnie, Prince, Billy, and Mount Erie are two that both share that. But uh, he was he was around, I don't know if you know K Records, I think in Olympia. It was kind of a, 
what do they call the the punk movement on the west coast it was kind of like the the feminist punk movement uh riot girl all that kind of stuff he was kind of around yeah, that slater, scene. slater kinney and stuff yeah he was around that scene but was like a young kid that would just go in to k records after hours and had a key and would just mess around with all the analog recording qu- equipment and would make his own records with just his guitar and other instruments he found around and just he still does everything analog to this day he's still putting out records now as mount erie but this song i'm going to choose a live song because i've seen him live uh five times or so um and so and i found this one on uh this live song that i liked a lot it's from it's called solar system that's the name of the song it's live in copenhagen it's from 2003 it's the microphones, a.k.a. Mount Erie, a.k.a. Phil Elvram. This is his name from Anacortes, Washington. Solar System Live from Copenhagen. I mean, it's. I don't. I don't know exactly why I chose that one. There were so many different ones, and he's got he's got a album from 2000 and one from 2001 that are pretty uh, amazing. But he's got a lot of great albums from from that decade. I think one of the things that really drew me to him when I started listening to him 
was the DIY aesthetic that shows up in other kind of punk movements. Like I would listen to it, like on the cynical side, you could say, oh, you listen, you think, oh, that's not that good. I could do that. <laughs> there's that, there's that. But it's more of like, you feel something honest. You feel something kind of like someone's just not caring too much about having something be perfect, but rather having something be authentic. And that really appealed to me. And so I've followed him since then. There was the Northwest connection and the age connection as well. But he's been him. uh, And of course, you know, Bonnie Prince, Billy, those two have been the, they've been kind of like strangely spiritual gurus and mentors of mine, even though I don't know either of them, but they're, they're existential poetic, singer song I think that's one of the cool things about this decade though we start to see yeah. this I think more than almost any other decade like you had singer songwriters in the 60s that were were really sharing like authentic songs but they right. weren't they were they were still like crafting a, a very specific like formulaic song yeah and in the 2000s it, it was like especially for the indie circuit they were just trying to capture like almost like an essence or a tone or a geographic mm-hmm. region and, and kind of put it out there. And it, it, it's weird. Like it sounds, it, it, it I'm describing the ambiguity of it, I guess, but within that yeah. ambiguity, it does create space where like connection and transcendence and even spirituality, I think can, can exist at a kind of a weird space. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of music that I think provides that, that starts to, yeah creep up in this decade well said well said yes yes well thank you indulging my my mount Erie (laughs) phil elvram microphones pick okay what do you got jason i gotta what are we on 2003 yeah that's right oh geez i could not be going in a more opposite direction from what jordan just did So we talked a little bit about this extensively, and I don't even know how much of the previous conversation that we had will make the final cut of this episode, but I'll just come right out. This song could potentially be problematic. It's 99 Problems by Jay-Z. It's 99 Problems, 99 Problematic Things. (laughs) Yeah, it's off the Black Album. um, I don't even know what you're going to do with this one, Brandon, because there's no way around this one unless you want to do some serious edits on the song. It's very abrasive. Um, it's it's a significant rap track. I think it's Jay-Z doing what he does best, which is storytell in a clever way. It's produced by Rick Rubin. This was the first hip-hop album or, or music that Rubin had produced in decades. He famously started Def Jam, famously helped produce the and kind of put the Beastie Boys on the map, LL Cool mm-hmm. J, a lot of the early Def Jam acts. And his early calling card was to take like really heavy distorted guitars, combine it with like a boom bap um, drum beat. For this one, he took uh, the beat by Billy Squire. That's the drum track for this uh, kind of famous in the world of hip hop. And he creates this very classic Rick Rubin style track. And then Jay-Z tells story a story over it. And on the surface, the story is offensive and abrasive um, I referenced earlier this interview he did with Cornell West where he kind of talks about the meaning of it. If you want to play a little bit, however much you're comfortable playing, and then I, I kind of give you my take on the back end. Um, sorry if it's offensive to people, but this is an important track in this decade. If you have a girl problem, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. Hit me. Yeah, it's 90 
4 and my trunk is raw And my rear view mirror is the motherfucking law Got two choices, y'all, pull over the car or Bounce on the devil, put the pedal to the floor And I ain't trying to see no highway chase with Jake Plus I got a few dollars, I can fight the case So I pull over to the side of the road, I heard Son, do you know why I'm stopping you for? Cause I'm young and I'm black and my hat's real low Do I look like a mind reader, sir? I don't know Am I under arrest or should I get some more? Well, you was doing 55 and the 54 uh -huh. Lost the registration and step out of the car You carrying a weapon on you, I know a lot of you are I ain't stepping out of shit, all my papers legit Well, do you mind if I look around the car a little bit? Well, my glove compartment is locked, so it's the trunk in the back And I know my rights, so you gon' need a warrant for that <laughs> Aren't you sharp to attack? Or something, somebody important or something I ain't passed the ball, but I know a little bit Enough that you wanna legally search my well, we'll see how smart you are when the K-9 comes Okay, so in that, in that interview he does with Cornell West He's talking about context in rap And when he wrote this song, he thought it was gonna be funny Because he knew it would inflame people to, Especially because he was using the word bitch And that second verse, he tells a true story of being um, pulled over when he was driving the speed limit because he was black and he had drugs in his car. He was in the wrong, but um, he wasn't being pulled over for the drugs. He was being pulled over for being black. And so he has this kind of intelligent back and forth. Um, and the canine unit, which would have given them the right to search his car, was busy somewhere else. So when he says, I got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one, that's a specific reference to the canine unit being uh, busy and the dog wasn't there that would have made it so that the cop could search his car. And so it's this kind of interesting expression <laughs> of an actual story that happened to him. And then that's kind of the, I think, the brilliance of Jay-Z's storytelling um, in addition to, like, it's interesting if you take this and run it side by side. Jordan picked a, a Run DMC uh, track in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it was very, like, their delivery was very syncopated. I'm the king of rock. There is none higher. Like, on the one, on the one, on the one, they're hitting their the heavy note, four words per bar. And this is, like, the culmination of using voice and cadence as an instrument but then it's combined with this kind of old school rick rubin track and it put together this perfect song that straddles pop that straddles culture that simultaneously like delights and offends it's kind of the i think like the great culmination of of what hip-hop does and and yeah it i think it probably is offensive for uh for, for certain people, but I think it tells an important story and I think it reflects one of the kind of the interesting sides of what, what hip hop is trying to do. Nice. I've got a, I, I love that context, Jason. I just want to make a, a comment that it also sounds like the excuse that you might give if your parents catch you <laughs> saying bitch, you might say, I was talking about a female dog. Yes, <laughs> <Right>? exactly. <laughs> I mean, he demonstrates his, <laughs> his legal prowess in the, in the altercation with the cop. So he can work that on Cornell West. I, well. I ain't passed the bar, but I know a little <laughs> bit enough that you won't illegally search my. Yeah. So good. That was great. Uh, that was great. So, guys, I, I did uh, my classic style. I made a quick switcheroo edit. I took uh, 2004 off, and I added a two, 2003. Because you're, you're the one with the, with the hard out. 
I know. Since Brandon doesn't in have four minutes, and I've got and I've got three two thousand four picks. Well, <laughs> yeah, and I've got t- I've got now just one two thousand four pick. But I just couldn't believe that you guys none of no one had chosen this song i kind of thought brandon would sure and so i left i decided to cut it but i've got it it's got to be on the record um 2003 the white stripes seven nation army oh yeah duh it's got to be on there and so i'm I'm, I'm, i intentionally didn't pick this song because i don't like it that's why yeah i think it's got to be on there for the 2000s i like it but i'm not a like not a white stripe guy like i don't like have their albums and listen to them but this song I think it's got to be on there. So I, do you know what I sacrificed? I sacrificed a 2004 Bonnie Prince Billy because I already played three of those in that quarantine episode. So, <laughs> and I could Good do, man, I could do three more episodes. I could do three more episodes of just his stuff, but we'll go white stripes, seven nation army, 2003. Uh, that would be our next chronological one. My last minute editing here. Is this song popular? I've never heard it before. Yes. This also brings up a, a good technological thing. Maybe, maybe the technology existed before this, and I'm just not aware of of two piece bands previously that that used mm-hmm. this kind of stuff, where they would, um, you know, use pedals and effects to drop or raise the octave, and mm-hmm. then also split the signal so that they can use different, you know, send it to different amplifiers. Yeah. But, uh, um, where, where are you guys they're, they're at the on the white band, stripes? But... Are you thumbs up or thumbs down on the white stripes? I, I think they deserve the credit. I'm glad. I think they're they. Sh- I li- I'm glad they're popular. It's like there's a lot of bands that should be popular. I think they deserve their the credibility or the popularity I, they have. You can probably do maybe take the song all the way down. Um, I. I was in on them from day one. Like their, I, I have, I bought their first two albums the week they came out, and then I just got so tired of Jack White. Like it feels like he so desperately wants to be relevant, mm-hmm. um, and then this was the song that just kind of broke it for me. Yeah, um, like I couldn't, I just couldn't do it anymore. Was it that? Was it them, or was it that they got popular? Because I know how much you hate that. <laughs> <laughs> I know you hate that. That didn't help. That didn't help. But there was, there felt like there was this desperation in Jack White wanting to be relevant. Like I I still listen to everything he does. If you watched his most recent Saturday Night Live appearance, it was so off putting. He was trying so Mm. hard to 
to do a cool thing. Like if you compare them to the flaming lips, Wayne doesn't care what you think of him. He's making his mm. art and Jack White desperately wants to be relevant within the, like the mm. current zeitgeist of, of music. And that is mm-hmm. off putting to me for whatever reason. Right. And it's hard to uh, perpetuate that uh, red, black and white motif for more than a couple <laughs> of years. I know. How do they do that? Um, at the same time, Jack White's been awesome. He's been like really committed to trying to preserve roots music and like mm-hmm. analog recording and stuff. He's done some yeah. cool stuff and he's, he's super talented. I think it's a good song and it's very representative and important to the decade, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's just my personal. It's, it's one of the yeah. few very popular songs from the two thousands that I'm like, yes, this, this is a really good song. I also can see Jason once the hordes the masses start liking something you love how you got to turn against it you have to how would you feel we've already discussed my conduct disorder on here it's <laughs> it's pathological it's, it's not it's, conduct disorder it's just you have to maintain that's true. a separation it's, from the mainstream does that make it oppositional defiant disorder it makes it elite elitist music <laughs> disorder it's just pretentious <laughs> snottiness yeah pretentious snotty disorder p s uh, i i like the song i uh i've it's it's never worn off on me it's fun to play uh i play it with with my kids down in the basement and we all get into it it's and i i like in the especially the third verse where he just really lets loose uh, with his voice and uh the the ripping guitar solo Mm -hmm. and and this song yeah it's it's obvious why it's a big hit, uh, super catchy, right? Uh, easily recognizable and and playable riff. So, yeah. Any, is it uh, is it this generation right smoke? Too. Is it this generation smoke on the water? No, it very well could be. Mm. Like the thing anybody could pick Except, up and just try to riff on. And added to that, also played at sporting events. And then the sporting event thing. So smoke on the water combined with uh, Doctor. What is it? that one. Or we, yeah. or bigger than that though. Like we, uh, we will. What is the? We are the song? champions. Yeah, we will. We no, we. Uh, we will rock you. We will rock you. That's the big sports one. It seems yeah. like we are the champions too after the game. But yeah, no, it, it right. became an actual absolute uh, cultural giant. Phenomenal. You got a bail, Jordan? Um, I give us another half hour, Jordan. Come let's on. okay. I've got. I've got to tell Eli. He says, I, I made. I okay. A little parenting thing. He didn't do any of his homework the last two days. So I said, you can't do any media until you, you catch up on your homework. And he's texting me, I need help. But I'm going to tell him I can do can – we, do you think we can do 25 more, more minutes? Yep. So it'll be 12.30. Do you want him to log in on the Zoom call and we can all try to help him together? <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Okay, 20, I'll get to 12.30. Let's do this. Are we at 2004 yet? We are at 2004. And I've okay. got one 2004 I, and you've got three. I have sure one. Pick. <laughs> you you go for it, Brandon. Let's do it. I'll go, tell Brandon. you what. You okay. can share two if you'd like. Share two. No, I'll I'll go every other one. <clears throat> All right. Uh, my first pick from two thousand four. Um, this is the the other big name in uh, in hip hop for the decade. Jason shared Jay Z, so I'm gonna share a Kanye song. Mm. Is this his first album, The College Dropout? 
I think it was. Uh, debut it, studio album. First, yeah. yeah, first solo album. He was making a name for himself, like producing on Jay Z albums and stuff. He was on a he was Is on Stakes the, is High actually. Yeah, yeah. Are you doing so, the wire? No, I'm the doing wire. Jesus Walks. Jesus Walks. Let's hear it. Here we go. God show me the way because the devil's trying to break me down. Killers, murderers, drug killers, even the scrippers. Jesus with them. To the victims of welfare, feel we living in hell here. Hell yeah. Jesus with them. Now I hear he, wanna see thee more clearly. I know he hear me when my feet get weary. Cause we're the almost nearly extinct. We rappers as role models, we rap, we don't think. I ain't here to argue about his facial features. But here to convert atheists into believers. I'm just trying to say the way school need teachers, the way Kathleen needed Regis, that's the way I need Jesus. So here go my single dog, radio needs this. They said you can rap about anything except for Jesus. That means gun, sex, lies, videotape. But if I talk about God, my record won't get played, huh? Well, if this take away from my spins, which it probably take away from my ends, then I hope it take away from my sins and bring the day that I'm dreaming about. Next time I'm in the club, everybody's screaming out. God, show me the way because the devil's trying to break me down. The only thing that I pray is that my feet don't fail me now. That's a that's a goosebumps track for me when that when that chorus builds he uses sound he's an artist he sees things in color he hears things uniquely and when he puts it together he's got a great producer's ear that like yeah. he can create emotion that's taking you to church I love that track yeah it's great it's it's really great what do you have to say about it Brandon well I'm a I'm a newcomer to to Kanye believe it or not um, I mean I knew who he was for a while because he's so just present as a, as a yeah. celebrity um but haven't haven't listened to a lot of his actual music um so this was i was just going through a bunch of his his top tracks and this one really spoke to me that it uh it was surprising like we talked about kind of the uh the overall culture in popular music of the decade and this seems to be an anomaly of where the uh, the current thinking is to either avoid talking about religion at all or else be demeaning of it. And he's uh, he's talking about how, how much he needs it. It was, mm-hmm. uh, it was an eye-opener for me. Yeah, yeah his, his first two albums are, are really, really good, like unquestionably good. He, after that, he, he starts to... You start to see kind of the more modern version of him. But mm-hmm. He's an interesting guy for sure, but really important in the, I feel bad because his recent, like he's married to a Kardashian. He's part peripherally part of like the biggest reality show of all time. He's got his clothing line. I mean, he got all the fame that he wanted. He's a willing participant, but kind of what's lost in that is that in the early two thousands, he was kind of singularly responsible for influencing some of the most important hip hop that that yeah. we had. He he was uh, like a real kind of um, 
quiet luminary early on. And then he took on this celebrity piece that kind of, I think overtakes what he did artistically. And he was, he was known as a producer um, and respected as a producer early. And he had to prove himself as a, as an MC and they didn't really take him seriously at first, like Jay-Z and, and others who he was working with as a producer. And, and so some interesting stories there. And he's been somewhat open with his mental health struggles, sometimes open in the sense of just it's on display, you know, and, and you can see, okay, this guy's manic right now. Um, but yeah, it's, he's an interesting cultural figure for sure. And some people that are, that are real hip hop fans that I know are like, you know, think that his latest stuff is some of his best, you know, they think that he's been genius throughout and I haven't really given it, all a ton of time. Um, but that was a great pick, Brandon. He, he's basically yeah. taken his celebrity and turned his celebrity into his art. And like, he's yeah. got famously manufactured stuff with Taylor Swift and that like his whole life right now is kind of his art. And it's, yeah. I don't know if that's genius or if it's completely self indulgent or if it's a combination of both, maybe that's, yeah that's what it is, but lost. Which is why I think I was so surprised by, by how good this song is. I haven't listened to the whole album. um, But if this is indicative of what the the album is like, it's a good one. I only knew him from his, his persona. And so I expected it to all be braggadocio. Um, But there's a, there's a lot of interesting, not, not just lyrics, but, music stuff all kinds of interesting things going on listen to a song later on the same album called the wire or through the wire through (laughs) Through the the wire Wire, yeah that's uh it's a really cool song a really um i think like introspective probably like maybe the last moment where we saw kind of a slightly like humble introspective kanye well and we've got his most recent album the uh the straight up gospel the gospel one yeah. There's some good stuff on there, actually. Yeah. yeah, good pick, Brandon. All right, Jason, you want to go? Uh, sure, I'll go. I've, so t- this is a uh, 2004. Um, I, so I had six in the first half of the decade, four in the second half. So this will be my sixth, I guess. 2004. I'll, I'll be curious if either of you have. Do either of you have an Arcade Fire track on your list? You know, I I I, I took them off. I have them for next decade, actually. So Brandon, do you have something from Funeral? Yeah. Okay. I picked, um, so my, my last pick for the, this half of the decade is going to be arcade fire. Um, I did neighborhood tunnels. Uh, what is it? Neighborhood number or whatever. Number one, number one off of, is that what you picked? It's not. Okay. Well, good, really, you could pick any song on this album. It's so yeah, great. It's a great yeah, album. So I'll just give a couple ideas. And then if you want to jump in, so this album is, I think for me personally, this represents, like the absolute best of this decade. This this may be my favorite album of the decade, or at least like in my top three. Start to finish, it's great. The band is fantastic. Um, this was them kind of as they're getting ready to to explode, but they're I think they're they're geniuses. Um and they have a lot of they always put a lot of really cool ingredients in their songs. I love everything that they do, but this is kind of them, I think, at the peak of their powers. Thank you. 
also think these guys are a great representation yep. of kind of kind of the state of uh, of indie rock slash pop in the in this decade. Um, yeah, kind of has a, a lot of the ingredients of of the best of the stuff that was happening there. Yeah, um, <clears throat> you've got all the variety of instruments, kind of the the huge band, which which was a, another popular thing. There's a lot of other bands that had these, like I'm thinking a broken social scene and mm-hmm. some of these others that have, you know, just lots of members in the band and incorporating orchestral kind of instruments, not like bringing in an orchestra, but having actual band members that right. can, can play a variety of they, These guys were kind of cool. They were similar to like REM where they had a couple people that could almost serve as lead singer. Like you have your lead mm-hmm. singer, but then they're, uh, what's the the what Regina? Regina? Yeah. Like she's as good of a singer as she's great. Um, uh, what's Will? Win, win, win. Yeah, Will's his brother, Win. Um, and so they can do. It makes them really, really versatile. They can make a lot of different styles. They can make a lot of different sounds. Even vocally, they can they can do different things. And yeah. I I just I love them. I still I still have basically all their albums in rotation yeah. i listen yeah to. they're great i would say i agree that they are they represent the best that that indie rock had to offer and i i love their albums their, their albums from this decade as well they also have done some great work with soundtracks with songs in movies like spike jones's where the wild things are yeah. and her speaking of which let's go to my pick let's yeah let's it. hear it i know I know this one was in the uh, in the trailer for well, where the wild things are, which I was I was teaching high school at the time that that trailer came out, and I remember it was a, a big deal amongst my students. Such like, a good oh, one. can yeah. we watch that where the wild things are trailer today? Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think this song definitely has a lot to do with it. That's right. Uh, so this is "Wake Up" from the same album by The Arcade yeah. Fire. This yeah. was the one I almost picked. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, so good. It's uh, so catchy. I think the another another example of how the the independent stuff it's it's a head scratcher as to why it wasn't more popular than it was. Um, yeah, I think this this song probably did get get fairly popular, um, but still not like number one on the, yeah. on the charts or anything. But these guys did get big. Like they, I mean, they yeah. were able to sell out like arenas. They were doing yeah. big stuff. That's true. Right. So may, maybe they're like the uh, the Radiohead of the two thousands, like the, uh, the representative of the the, uh, the alternative that was able to make it yeah. big, both commercially and critically. Yeah, I think they they 
uniquely straddle the line like radio mm-hmm. did where they can appeal both both commercially and critically yeah that's a good I, that's a fair assessment all right i've got one 2004 and brandon you've got one more yeah okay i'll do mine right now and then you wrap it up okay. how about all right this is a singer songwriter who really he started in canada in the 80s um was putting out albums in the 90s and in the 2000s. I've got a song from his eighth studio album from 2004. The way I heard about him is because uh, we were listening to Feist in the 2000s, another kind of 2000s artist that you think of. Uh, Feist, and she did a song called Secret Heart that we really liked, and we found out it was a cover of someone else, so we checked out who it was, and it's a guy named Ron Sexsmith. And we got his album and he's, he's definitely one of those guys who he's like, he doesn't have a star personality at all. Like he doesn't look, you know, he's not a handsome individual by any means, but just a solid songwriter, just really solid songwriting. And I love his voice. So the album I know well from him is the 2004 album called the retriever. And the song is called, I know it well. And it's Ron Sexsmith. I know it well. My son, uh, who's now 14, when he was just a little little guy, three or four years old, he wanted us to play this album all the time. And so we listened to it a lot. Um, he was a stubborn little guy, and he would get really upset if he didn't get his way. But we liked the album, so it was fun. We listened to it a lot. So it's got a nice nostalgic place in our family's uh, aesthetic. So I Know It Well by Ron Sexsmith. on your face where you don't seem quite yourself all out of place I know it well hope springs eternal Four hours a day Yet still we Convince ourselves Out of our way I know it well Know it well When your heart's retreating From this long Elvis, Elvis Costello-ish. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got kind of a late 60s, early 70s vibe, too. It it, uh, it reminded me, weirdly, the song that came to mind was Wichita Lineman by Glenn Campbell. Ah, oh, love it. Like, I for, love that for song. For reals, I'm love not even lying. Yeah, he's got a smooth voice, a smooth delivery. He's got he's a great singer-songwriter. This pick, partly for me, is because I listened to a lot uh, this lot in the decade, and partly because I just want more people... If just you two, I want more people to appreciate Ron Sexsmith. Okay. By the way, Ron Sexsmith yeah. sounds like the guy that could open for every Teddy Pendergrass show. Yeah, <laughs> it does sound like that. <laughs> you could take it there. You could. 
Good pick. I I've never, I've never did. heard yeah, yeah. of him or listened to him before. Do you know the Feist song, Secret Secret Heart? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's his song on one of his albums. Good well, stuff. cool, because uh, funny you should bring up Feist, because that's my pick. Nice, nice. From her, uh, is Let It Die her debut album? I think it is. Um. Why is the details not coming up? Here so we go. while you're looking for that, this is, I think this is exactly what I was trying to say. So like Feist, Wilco, Arcade Fire, all the, these are names people know beyond, like yeah. these aren't just underground names right, that indie right. nerds know. These are names that people know, whether they know their music or not. And, and so that's where th- these are all pop songs still. But it, sure. it's this much smarter, much more intelligent level of it. it like yeah. I think, I think there was something that was captured in indie pop this decade that's just super cool. Like somehow it, it worked um, yeah. at a, a really good level. Yeah. Um, so later on, oh, can you hear me better now? Yeah, I have that pointed the wrong way the whole time. Um, later on, I think her second album is what really got her on the map uh, mm-hmm. for, for most people. And she got, you know, the, the iPhone commercial. Yeah. The commercial and, blew her up. And uh, mm-hmm. Andy on the office is singing her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, this, this first album really does it for me. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm conflicted which song to play though. I keep there's, going back and there's forth. There's a lot of good ones. There's between, a lot of good ones. My favorites are Mooshaboom and Let It Die. Yeah. Um, Let It Die is kind of unique because we haven't heard many like ballads so let's far hear Let in this it die. decade. Let's hear it. So, most people yeah. probably have heard Mushaboom, but Let It Die, let's hear it. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I think this is a great example of, of her range. Mo- most of her stuff is is poppier, but this is a good example of like a, uh, a breakup, like sad ballad kind of thing. She's she's channeling. Uh, this feels like an older song, mm-hmm. like yeah. a fifties, sixties kind of ballad. Right, so channeling some of that vibe, but bringing her own uh, her own take on it. 
literally and, with vibraphone on there with the vibe. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really cool, like jazz sounding transitions. That first mm-hmm. transition where the, the bass dropped instead of went up, like it surprised me, and I love getting surprised in songs. Yeah. Even though I've heard the song, like I, it still caught me off guard in a, in a fun way. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so she's, uh, she's another can- Canadian. We've had three Canadians in a row now, right? Right. Um, from, I think she's, Mo- I don't know if she's Montreal or Toronto, but. Um. Yeah, really interesting career. She's one I would love to see live. I've still never seen her live. Yeah, yeah, agreed. But she can do so much stuff. She can really do. Uh, I wouldn't uh, say heavy rock stuff. I'll but have she, to look it up. I, I swear I read about her somewhere that she originally started in punk, and it was damaging her voice the way she was singing, and mm. she um, so she tra- changed styles in part to basically save her voice yeah let's see if that's accurate that's interesting well, thank goodness because she's got one of the most yeah. gorgeous voices out there a lot of the uh kind of gentle singers of the 2000s had a background in punk or at least elliot smith and i know feist is actually one of the co- part of the collective of one of my favorite bands from the decade broken social scene she's mm-hmm. she's one of the members and i have a pick from them in 2005 that'll be in our part two just for a uh, a teaser so we'll hear we'll hear a little bit more yeah here, here it is wikipedia she was in a punk band and she was forced to take time off to recover from vocal cord damage wow and so she kind of took time off and took away didn't know if she was going to sing and then she kind of came back reinvented herself in a in a style that was a little bit more conducive to preserving her voice nice it's important or important Indeed, indeed. To take care of your voice. Okay, well, that, that wraps it up for me. Jason and I have both done six picks so far, and so we've I've got, got five. We, so, so next episode that'll give us some good time to be able to go into our champs and all that kind of stuff. That's right. Under underground or underrated, overrated champs. I'll, I'll say at this point, I have no idea who the decade champ is. Yeah, I it's, think it's tougher. It's, to, it's tough. I've got mine. I've got mine, but it's it is a tough it's one. It's going to change. It's going to change, Jordan. It might change it, right before I say it. Were hipsters the decade champ? Well, do you want me to tell you? I don't <laughs> think you be. do want me to tell you. No, no, no. I think you're going to, regardless of whether. I was going to say, say if, if history has taught me anything, it's that you're still going <laughs> to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> nope, history is. I'm going to throw you a curveball, and I'm not going to tell you. Oh, I admire your restraint. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Part, um, parting words on the first half of the the two thousands. It's a fun decade. I love like this was this one has been really enjoyable to dig through. Yeah, yeah. There are so many bands and so many songs that I wish could be on this list. This is this has been the hardest. Each each decade's gotten a little bit harder. But yeah. Hmm. Um. Oh, I guess we'll talk about honorable mentions next time. Yeah, so. let's do that. Okay, so till then, I hope you enjoyed this journey through the the first half of the 2000s. I know I've been shared, uh, you guys shared some stuff with me that I was not aware of that I'm going to have to check out more. Yeah, super fun. This has been a sonic journey through time and space. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Until next time. We we are your humble servants and... Hope you will join us in letting the music be your master. 